are listening to an extra shot episode on the Project Zion podcast, a shorter episode that lets you get your Project Zion fix in between our full-length episodes. It might be shorter time-wise, but hopefully not in content. So regardless of the temperature at which you prefer your caffeine, sit back and enjoy this extra shot. everyone. Welcome to the Project Sign podcast. This is Brittany Mangelson, and I will be your host kind of for this episode. Uh, we are actually doing something that we have never done on Project Zion before. So I have on David Howlett. David is a scholar and a historian and a professor at Smith College in Massachusetts. And his students recently did a class project that might have some interest to the Community of Christ crowd, whether you are a lifelong member or a seeker. And that project is a podcast on women's ordination in Community of Christ. And so when we, the Project Zion team, heard about this podcast series, this project that these students had done, we decided that it would be great to share it on our platform. So I have David on today, and we are going to introduce the project. He's going to share a little bit more about it, and then... Uh, we will dive right into the first episode. And so over the next several weeks, you will be able to hear this project. So David, I'm really excited to have you on today. And why don't you share a little bit about yourself? So I'm a professor, a visiting professor of religion at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm a scholar of religion in America with interests also more broadly in globalization of Christianity. Um, pilgrimage, and in specifically the history of the community of Christ in the late 20th century. So I've written about that in books in the past and articles, and this in particular arises partially out of that interest, but also out of a class project where I have pedagogical goals, where I'm trying to help students learn things about historical research and um, other kinds of skills, in this case about how do you write and produce a podcast. I absolutely love that. I love when the academic side of study and history in the world can be used for practical projects, which is exactly what this is. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this project? How did it start? Like what was the the driving behind it, the driving force behind it? Uh, and really what's what's its purpose? This project itself, which is a series of podcasts that are student produced, student written, um, came out of my course that I offered in the spring semester at Smith College uh, called Mormonisms. I know that term is pretty loaded, like any important term is in terms of like people, different understandings of that. And certainly folks in community Christ do, but it, it's a term I use for legibility to let students know what we might be talking about in the class and make it plural too, because I let them know, oh, we're talking about many forms of that, not simply one dominant form. <laughs> and so. I always have a, a view that when I'm teaching about religion, and especially when I'm teaching about a very specialized class on something like Mormons, I'm not just teaching about religion, I'm helping students understand broader processes about 
how does gender or race or class work in terms of social formations over time? I'm a historian, so I think of it in historical terms too. And so this particular project is about women's ordination in community of Christ, thinking about how did that process in terms of the women's ordination movement originate? What was it like in the 1980s on the controversy over women's ordination? And what were the experiences of women who were ordained? Now, that in itself, it's important maybe to our audience in terms of people being community Christ or interested in community Christ. They could find something interesting in that particular story. But it's also a story that's larger than that of talking about late 20th century American Christianity. And in the 70s and 80s, there were lots of fights and denominations about could women be ordained? This is true also of American Jews. This is true of American Buddhists. It's a much larger phenomenon. So it's a phenomenon thinking about who has access to social authority and power and who can be empowered in a community. It goes much, much larger than a relatively small denomination. So, and we see different kinds of responses and donations everywhere. For instance, the Southern Baptists in the same time period take away women's ordination from women who are already ordained. Um, and so other groups give it to women uh, who hadn't offered it before. So there's no inevitable outcome that comes in this story. And the story of our denomination too is a variation of the story that exists out there. So that's my kind of like bigger uh, kind of goal that I have as a scholar of religion in America that I wanted my students to kind of understand whether or not they're all that interested in the community of Christ as a thing to study, as I am. And so the actual project, like you said, it's a series of podcasts. Um, why don't you get into a little bit, a few of the details of that? Um, I've listened to most of them, and I really appreciated them because it, uh, the, the students are talking to the voices of people who lived that experience um, firsthand. You know, we're kind of on the front lines of the community of Christ story. So uh, just can you give us a, a brief, you know, reflection on that? Yeah. To get into this process, the students first had to know something about community of Christ. So we did some research into that. They had to know something about the secondary literature on community of Christ in women's ordination, which is rather thin, actually. And they had to write a, a research paper on that. And then they had to interview um, seven different women. There were seven groups, each one interviewing one woman who was ordained in the 1980s or early 1990s. Oftentimes women who became then leaders in community of Christ or had been leaders already in the RLDS church. This included people like Marge Tro, who was the Women's Commission leader in the 1970s into the early 80s. It included people like Gwendolyn Hawks Blue, who was on the Standing High Council for Community of Christ. It included people like Becky Savage, who was in the first presidency of Community of Christ. Linda Booth, who served as uh, the first president of the Council of Twelve as a woman in Community of Christ. We then had them interview each person with standardized questions, and each set of questions corresponded to a different theme. And then in their group, they had to write an episode in which they took the quotes from these different kinds of interviews that other groups had produced, and they had to produce then their own episode in which it had a narrative that had a beginning, middle, and end, but then addressed the different questions that had been asked um, across the board to these seven different women. So it gave them a chance to tell a story about one episode, for instance, about the call. What's it, 
Um, what were their experiences of being called to the priesthood? So there's an entire episode about that. What about the controversy? How did that play out in their congregation, in their family, um, in their, what at the time were stakes around women in the priesthood, or if they had been at the 1984 conference? Some of them had been part of it, you know, before this process, before like Marge Tro, part of the, the leadership of what was uh, then the RLDS church and the process of advocating for it. But that episode gave them the opportunity to talk about that. And then we have later episodes too that um, talk about denominational ministry, congregational ministry, interfaith ministry, and then about changes. Um, a final episode asking, it's the seventh episode, asking, so what changes have they seen in community Christ because of women's ordination? What changes do they hope for the future too? So it's kind of ending with a future-oriented view as well. So the episodes were recorded by the students. They're written by the students. Um, and the title for the podcast too, Women's Rights, um, a podcast about women's ordination, that was also voted on by the class. So it's a class project, all in all. Um, I, I helped edit some of it in terms of like some of the content just to like make sure it's accurate, you know, um, so that, but beyond that, this is their project and these are their voices. Um, so, and th the music too, something they voted on. I wouldn't have chosen the theme music, but they love this theme music. So I think we'll go with it. <laughs> I love that. I love seeing uh, young people be able to have creative expression and freedom to to do what they want with with their research. I mean, I, I think it's really inspiring. And, you know, I just want to say that one of the reasons why I wanted to do this collaboration, why I was supportive of it, is because of the narrative style. These podcasts have a different feel than most of Project Zion podcasts. They're very almost journalistic in nature. And I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, David, I just want to thank you for sharing these audio files with us and helping us um, amplify these stories to our little audience. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to having our folks hear them. So again, listeners, if you're listening to this, then you are about ready to hear the series. Uh, and over the next several weeks, we are going to be sharing one of these episodes with you. So David, any final words that you have for us as far as this project goes? There is an accompanying website along with the episodes and the accompanying website does have some images from the archives that we have uh, shared with permission. And it also has a student generated essay just giving background to women's ordination and community of Christ. And that student, by the way, quoted a Brittany Mangelson in that essay, believe it or not. <laughs> I noticed that, actually. <laughs> so there we go. That, was just, that student did that research on her own. I didn't point her to that at all. So, I mean, she found that by Googling, and then she's a good writer. And it's intended for someone who has no background in community of Christ to be able to understand, well, what's going on here? Who's just interested in the idea of women's ordination. Yeah. So the website helps situate that a little bit more, too. Yes, and we will be sure to link that website in the show notes so you can get more background information on the project. And yeah, thank you so much, David. Thank you for uh, joining us in this collaboration. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Well, thank you for hosting us and giving us this opportunity. This is Women's Rights, a podcast about women's ordination written and produced by students at Smith College. Hi, I'm Julia.
I'm Sophia. And I'm Tessa. We're your hosts for this episode of Women's Rights. This season, we are exploring the story of women's ordination in the Community of Christ, a church with a quarter million members and formerly named the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This denomination began ordaining women in 1985, and on the 35th anniversary of these first ordinations, we're taking this season to look back on the journey towards women's ordination in the Community of Christ. To do so, we've interviewed women ordained in the first decade after the 1985 policy change, women who went on to be leaders in the community of Christ. Each episode in this series investigates a different topic, and today we're going to look at denominational ministry. We will feature women reflecting on their ministry outside of the local, conferences, retreats, international leadership gatherings, and leadership of denominational bodies, and hear their memorable stories. We first asked our interviewees about the roles in which they have served the community of Christ at the denominational level. Charmaine Shalva-Smith talked a bit about her role as an evangelist. And then I think it was 2010, um, I was ordained as, as an evangelist, which is a, is a minister who brings blessing. And uh, that comes in personal blessing. We have what's called an evangelist blessing, um, which is... Uh, it has several parts to it, but the idea is that um, we offer prayer for a person and the and the different elements in their life, um, perhaps bringing some insight uh, to them. The way I do it is I usually meet with a person once a month for at least a year, and we talk about their spiritual life. So I'm kind of acting as a spiritual director to them in that time, and we discuss their spiritual journey. And then at the end of that time, or sometimes it goes much longer than a year, um, then I we uh, I record a prayer and I lay my hands on their head and offer a prayer of blessing, um, and re- that's recorded and then transcribed for them. Jane Gardner provided some insight on what holding the role of high priest signifies in the community of Christ. I was ordained a high priest, and the difference. Um, is that in the office of high priest, you're more looking at the world church, the global church, and starting to understand um, how we make a global community and, and helping people understand that there's more to life than just inside their small congregation, that there's things outside of it. Jane spoke more about her experience serving in the denomination on a global level. Since 2007, I've been on World Church Leadership Council, so that's about 25 people um, who are the decision makers, the policy um, holders, the policy creators for the whole World Church. And so that's uh, been a role I've had now since 2007, and I'm I'm one of several women, so. Um, we've tried, as leaders, we've tried really hard to diversify. Um, so there are, there are women on the council. There are also people from Africa, people from Honduras, people from um, Wales. Um, what am I forgetting? Honduras, Africa. Oh, from French Polynesia. There's the woman from French Polynesia. So um, it's pretty, it's getting more and more diverse And um, it's an exciting time um, to be not just a woman, but to be helping in the leadership of the denomination. 
We went on to ask our interviewees to share a memorable experience they had at a denominational conference, retreat, or other event. Charmaine spoke about the support system she found among other ordained women at conferences. That was one of those things that, especially from about 85 to 95, was really important, um, is that ordained women would, would seek each other out at these kinds of things, at conferences, at uh, mission center conferences, or um, you know, family camps. Uh, and so there was this, this kind of sense of um, we can support each other. And, and, and among the women who were being ordained, there were some who were very traditional, um, as in, you know, their role, their thinking of the role is primarily in home and family. And so for some of them, this was a this was a big stretch for them and there was a, a real hesitance, but they felt that it was a, an honest uh, call and they had embraced it. Um, and so there was lots of holding each other up. Linda Booth recounted a time when she organized a groundbreaking event of bonding with Restoration Branch congregations in Kansas City who do not support women's ordination. Congregations in the greater Kansas City area that remained in community of Christ but did not allow for women to be ordained in their congregations. And those pastors were attending too. And so we sat there and talked. We prayed together. We talked. It was a great conversation. And the restoration elder looked at me. He said, Linda, you know, I like you. And I said, well, I like you too. He said, I said, would you like to continue to meet? And he said, yes, I, I think that would be good. So I started a group called the Restoration Reconciliation Committee. And once a month we met, and these were restoration men, elders, and we got up to be about 30 to 35 that met. And I heard the pain of these men who had been, in some cases, silenced in the church because of their hateful attitude toward women in the priesthood. And um, we began to become friends. We prayed together, and we decided to have a worship service because the Restorationists and Community of Christ couldn't worship together any longer because they didn't believe uh, in women in ordination, and and the the schism was so wide that even family members never worshipped together after that. So we thought, let's have a Restoration Hymn Festival, and we'll focus on Jesus Christ. That's what we have in common, and so we. We were, there were only a couple places they would agree to have this service. And so we agreed to do it in the auditorium, which is Independence, which holds 6,600 people. And um, on the night that we gathered for the Restoration Hymn Festival, where men and women both participated in uh, leading prayers and scripture, when I walked in, I was shocked. And that evening they counted and there were almost 4,000 people there. They had driven as far away as Michigan and all over the United States to come and worship together because they had not had that experience. So I find it really astounding that a female apostle <laughs> would have the experience of working with restoration elders uh, to bring together people so that they could worship together for the first time after a very long time. In 2007, Becky Savage was the first woman ordained in Community of Christ's first presidency, the highest leadership group in the church. 
She told us another emotional story about the moment she was recognized in that office, along with other women being ordained to be denominational leaders at the Community of Christ's World Conference. They read this, this into the record, um, and he, so he reads this out to the First Presidency, or to the whole World Conference, which would, this is in that chamber that seats 6,000 people. This is all the delegates that gather from around the World Church. And he, this was uh, in March of 2007. We celebrate with all the sisters of the church another step in the long journey towards equal regard and opportunity in the church and in society. While this is not the final step, it is a significant step. From this point forward, there should be no question or hesitancy regarding the appropriateness or capacity of women to serve in any leadership or ministerial role in the church at any level of church organization. We would look forward to serving you to the best of our ability as we fulfill the duties and functions of the First Presidency. But first, let us pause now and express appreciation and respect for all the women who looked forward to the day and worked for this day and sacrificed for this day before it ever seemed possible that a day such as this could happen. Finally, our interviewees share some experiences of backlash and exclusion they face at conferences and retreats due to their gender. Becky reflected on a particularly hurtful experience as a new member of the First Presidency, not long after ordination, a contrast to the joyful moment you just heard. Members of the First Presidency, of which there are three, president and two counselors, I'm one of the counselors, to the president of the church, who were considered the presidency. So when there are assignments out, we try to share those assignments. And one of the kinds of assignments that we take are um, when there's big celebrations of church. There was a congregation, uh, I won't say where, that was celebrating a big, significant, like 130th year of that congregation. And they generally would have a member of the first presidency come for that celebration. President Beasy had been uh, scheduled for that. He had a conflict. President Shaw, who was the second member of the presidency was not available. And so they offered that I could come and I was free to come. And usually before those kinds of assignments, you get a call from if not the pastor, the mission center president say, this is what we'd like you to do for that day. And we're happy to have you come. Well, it's getting like a week, 10 days before that event. And I've not heard anything. And so I called the mission center president and said, I haven't heard anything. What's going on. And all I got was, um, um, um. And I said, okay, is there an issue because I'm a female? And I got, Oh, yes. Becky also wasn't afraid to stand up for equal treatment of ordained women. She disclosed one particularly amusing moment of confrontation after receiving a demeaning remark. So the first part of that conference, uh, we have a receiving line as a first presidency where people can come greet us. <laughs> one gentleman came through that line and his comment was, I'm so glad we have for the first time a wife in the first presidency. Mm. And to which I said, oh, no, we don't. 
Charmaine leaves us with an intriguing thought about why some people, particularly men, have struggled to accept women's ordination in the community of Christ. Times of not being accepted tended to be more awkward than they were hurtful. And, you know, that was, you know, I, I really think having been in the Michigan region as people were struggling with starting to accept ordination of women was really helpful because I, I could mostly see that these were not mean people. You know, they were not people who, who wanted to harm, but they were just struggling so hard with their own um, preconceptions of, of who God was and, and, you know, maybe the maleness of God and, and, uh, and maybe for some unrecognized, uh, assumptions that men were better than women or more, more religious or more spiritual. Uh, and, you know, they couldn't probably put words to that yet, but it was, it was making some men especially feel like they weren't as special as they thought they were. While there are differences in the denominational roles and experiences ordained women have, as we have highlighted in this episode, what remains similar are common experiences between these women is resilience in the face of gender discrimination and finding support among others. In our next episode of Women's Rights, we look at the topic of interfaith ministry and feature women reflecting on their interactions across denominational lines. That concludes our podcast for today. Special thanks to Charmaine Shavala-Smith, Jane Gardner, Linda Booth, and Becky Savage. Also, thanks to Dan Bennett, Travis Grandy, and Yasmeen Eisenhower of the Smith Learning Research and Technology team. Thanks to Rachel Killebrew of Community of Christ Library Archives. And thanks to the Andrew Mellon Foundation that supports public-facing student writing at Smith College. Tune in next time on Women's Rights. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.